Welcome to the New Deal Podcast, April 2021. When we think about the school nurse, we think about band-aids and ice packs, but have you ever wondered what happens now during coronavirus? This week on the New Deal Podcast, we'll look at the changing role of the school nurse in light of the current pandemic. Tell me about a time a school nurse took good care of you. When I broke my collarbone, she would check in on me and make sure my sling wasn't too tight or too loose. I was at an English boarding school in the 1980s and um, it was a pretty severe place. And when you got sick, you were sent over to the sanatorium or the SAN, as it was known. And this SAN was run by a wide, short, gray-haired, scary nurse. I can't remember her name, but I do remember that she always wore um, tights and and, and a a, a very um, starched uniform. And you could hear her coming because her tights would Um, slide together. The biggest memory I have going to my school nurse and I will she will rename anonymous. uh, I remember uh, throwing up on the bus gracefully and I remember doing it with uh, I threw up all over my Aquanet hairspray and I went to the nurse's office and fluffed up my hair and then she said how embarrassing And I said, yes, and the person next to me in the bus didn't even notice. I would like to um, introduce Kimberly Baggio, who is joining the New Deal podcast today to talk about her role as a school nurse, um, especially during these times dealing with COVID and the pandemic. Kim earned her bachelor's as a registered nurse in 2005 and her master's as a pediatric nurse practitioner and pediatric clinical nurse specialist. She attended the College of New Rochelle and obtained credits towards a post-master's degree as a holistic certified nurse specialist. Kim began her career in the pediatric ICU, pediatric orthopedics, and general pediatrics. And prior to moving to Pennsylvania, Kim founded Calm Wellness, an integrative pediatric practice focusing on complementary care. Kim has been at her current school, a private school in Pennsylvania, for three years now, where she has assisted in the implementation of a mindfulness program. And this year, Kim has taken on the role of COVID coordinator in addition to being the school nurse. Thank you, Kim, for joining us today. Thank you for that introduction. I'm so glad to be here with you guys today. So, well, let me ask you this, um, how the current pandemic has affected your daily work life? Uh, It has changed in every aspect. It's changed from the way I take care of the children to how my office is set up, how I practice within the school setting. Um, It's also added a lot more responsibility, a lot of tracking and a lot more of an administrative side that I hadn't been used to in a school setting before. And learning to work with all of the different working groups to make a school safe and to keep our children happy and healthy. 
um, my daily routine has really changed because it starts earlier and I'm out, you know, really starting my day the minute those kids are on campus. I'm there helping with screenings and then meeting their needs throughout the day, um, which are still the same. They're still kids. They're still, you know, getting cuts and scrapes and paper cuts, and they're still bumping their heads. My daily job doesn't end at school. It comes home. You know, you never know when that call is going to come in as a COVID coordinator. You don't know when you're going to get that email. So it has changed both my daily life in school, as well as my day outside of school. You alluded to the fact, you know, as a COVID coordinator, getting the call that maybe somebody in the community has, um, you know, been affected by COVID. And, you know, can you just talk a little bit about what a typical day would look like for you over the past year? A typical day really starts with, you know, before I even um, start my day, you know, I have to check those emails to make sure that any, any child or staff member that needs to be cleared for COVID is getting cleared and parents know how to plan for their day. So that really starts before school. And then once I'm at school, it really starts with that, those screenings in the morning so that's a new thing that we've never had to deal with before, um, health screenings and making sure that everybody is okay to be on campus. And then it kind of just starts to roll into my day and every day is different. Um, in between all of this, you have students walking in, um, you have teachers texting because protocols have changed. So we're not just sending children. So I might be going out to classrooms to pick children up or to assess them seeing what needs follow up from the prior day, seeing what meetings may need to take place to discuss safety and different um, news updates on variants and COVID, um, just everything COVID really, with children who and families who need help with contact tracing. I both help with them both in school and out of school. As a nurse, um, we're here to support the whole child, and that includes the family. So a lot of my day is also spent reaching out to families to make sure that they have what they need, whether it's information or just an open ear sometimes to, to kind of vent about what's going on, to bounce ideas off of about what's going on in their family. Um, and then it's, you know, I, I try and sneak lunch in nice and early because you never know when um, you're, what day is what the day is going to bring and if you're going to get lunch and then the afternoon starts and some afternoons are a little quieter and you can kind of catch up on the things that you've been missing but other afternoons it's you know lots of recess time and injuries and then we end our day by kind of hoping we don't get any calls after school and working through the, you know, tying up those loose ends, making sure all the kids that you've seen during the day are still okay. So I know because I work with you, Kim, how hard you've worked over the past year to take in new information and just make sure that you were up to date on everything COVID related. And I know that learning hasn't stopped for you. And sometimes it extends beyond the typical school day. Getting information and, and continuing to deep dive into everything COVID is kind of part of my personality. I think I'm type A. I need to make sure that I'm getting all the information I need to make decisions. 
um, both personal and professional decisions, which is not always easy sometimes. But I use a lot of webinars and meetings with people across the country um, who have ties with other countries as well, so that you can kind of get secondhand information, but it's, it's from a source who took it from a primary source. So I'm really looking at, um, looking at all sources, everything that's out there, opinions from people, because part of my job is having everybody to adhere to safety protocols. And sometimes we all have different things that kind of we're fearful of or, or seem more important to us. So I need to understand what's important to everyone in order to keep our community safe and in order to decide um, how to make decisions because everything is you know, pros and cons, you have to weigh everything. So my sources are very wide. They are local sources, local governments, meeting with local governments, and then you take it to a more regional level and then a national level and a global level. And each topic you need to then look at what's out there in mainstream media, what's a little further down that, that Google search. You need to talk to people. You need to listen and meet them where they are because you don't know where that next gem of information is going to come from. That's really going to make, I think, the decision clearer. Can you talk a little bit more about the different types of groups that you consult with um, once you bring that information back to the school? Um, you know, is it one specific group? Are there multiple groups? How does that information ultimately get um, solidified into either a policy or um, following a particular mitigation? I have um, meetings at all different intervals. So there are multiple groups that I'll work with within the school setting. And that is, um, one is a health and safety group. So that's kind of a group that we will kind of go through what all of the information that I've already collected that the other people in the group have collected. We'll think about how it applies to our specific school, our specific situations and events to see how we can tailor that and to see even if that event can happen this year, or we need to really rethink it. Um, there's also a medical advisory group, which consists of doctors um, and medical professionals and scientists in our community. And we will go over everything medical. We'll deep dive, we'll talk about the vaccines and about testing and all of the scientific data that's out there. They help me to decide what to bring back to our health and safety group. So we'll kind of pick apart things and they'll say, no, you know, I know that's, that, that's what they're recommending. Let's hold off. Let's see what's going on. And that might not go back to health and safety at that moment, but anything we need to move on, we'll go back to health and safety. Then once it's kind of vetted through the medical advisory board and the health and safety board, it goes off to a bigger task force, which includes um, members of our administration, as well as board and trustee members. So we will go through all of that with them and really get, um, they're there to help with some of the bigger decisions. So um, we'll kind of review everything that we're doing at school, but then if there's any bigger policy, um, school-wide policy that needs to be made from an administrative end, they'll help with that as well.
As you guys go through your decision making, what are some of the factors that you kind of consider? Like what really guides, you know, decision making for these groups? We consider everything. Um, we consider our local community. We we always, yes, we always consider our laws, our, you know, our local government, our state government, our national, you know, um, federal government. Um, we have to look at all of that input and data, but then why are we making this decision? How are we making it? Are we making it out of fear? Are we making it um, out of exhaustion? Are we making it because this is really what the science is showing. This is what's supported in all of the other information. So it takes a lot of um, a lot of data from a lot of different sources to really decide on a mitigation or a procedure that's going to be carried out on a bigger scale. I love that you um, brought up kind of, you know, the personal feeling versus the professional, you know, thought around something. What do you do when those two things conflict? Times where I just personally may feel something very different than what I professionally think. And for example, I'm going to go back to the beginning of COVID. I wasn't so sure about masks or what needed to be done, but scientifically it was showing us that we should. Um, I was really worried about what are we going to lose in covering our mouths and our faces? You know, are we doing more harm by wearing a mask? And I really, really had to talk that out and really think about personally, I didn't want masks, but professionally, I knew that they were necessary. So I needed to talk that out. And I think that there are lots of decisions in our lives that we may not agree with our own internal dialogue. We don't know what's going on, but you need to take that moment and you need to listen to the people around you. You need to be open to what others are saying and you need to meet yourself where you are and understand that your thoughts can change. And by talking it out, sometimes you'll come to your own answer. Kevin, who is one of our New Deal team members, he had a question for you. He was wondering how others' perception of the value of the school nurse has changed or, you know, has it changed or has it not changed since the pandemic begun? I think it has changed hugely. I think school nurses um, were not always seen for what they really provided for schools. And were not noticed for all of the things that they were doing to support students and staff. And with COVID, our roles have been brought to light. And you see that the nurse and the health of, and safety of students is kind of intertwined in every interaction. So I think of these larger schools and I think of these school nurses that might be covering multiple schools or schools that don't have a school nurse. And I think that's really where the role of a school nurse is seen because they don't have that support. And I think that COVID has really brought that to light, that every school should really have a school nurse there to support every child, every staff member. So looking ahead, you know, we're hoping at some point we all move past this pan pandemic and that, you know, there is a time that we all are kind of back to normal, whatever normal may be. But as you look ahead, how do you see your position evolving in the years to come once we move through this period of time? My position may 
evolve in a way that I will be supporting more decisions within the school, kind of across the board. I, I kind of see myself like an octopus where each leg is kind of being pulled in a different direction. And I think that we have many tentacles and that each piece of nursing is going to continue to evolve. And that as long as we stay true to our purpose and to our beliefs that that role will continue to grow and will help to support both of our community, both our school community and the wider community. There's a lot more outreach happening. Um, I think that the mindfulness piece is going to really become a focus in many schools as we start to recover from this pandemic. And that will, I think in essence, give, children tools and staff tools that they didn't have prior to this. And I look at my role as something that will continue to support everybody's personal growth and help them to recover from a really, really tumultuous year of unknown. And let me just ask you personally, how do you feel you have grown over this past year? Well, I can start by saying that I never thought I'd use community nursing. It was kind of like my fluff courses in college. And wow, I have learned a lot and grown in public health um, policy and the information. And I've grown to also personally trust myself. And that learning really never ends. It's also helped me to acknowledge that there's so much out there that we don't know. I love that. Um, I really do believe that the role of the school nurse has been so highlighted over the past year and people just are so appreciative um, of the work that you're doing and other school nurses are doing during this time. Um, I would Thank you. I have to say, I feel very grateful to be in a school right now helping during this pandemic. So I would also like to say thank you to all the teachers out there and all the staff making this happen and supporting each other. Um, thank you for this time. Well, I was just very impressed with Kim's incredible dedication. And, and really, more than just esprit de corps, her real uh, authentic uh, professionalism. And the idea of uh, how deep it was, how well she's thought things through, her level of sincerity, and also the clarity of, of how things work. And to realize that this is in the face of, you know, what, what was a looming and then a realized crisis. Uh, I, I think she's an exemplar of, of, of a, more than a dedicated person, but a person who is performing outstanding work, just off the top. What I thought was interesting is really, it gets back to access um, and equality. I mean, I know that a lot of schools I attended, we had a school nurse who came once in a blue moon and would be in the school and then would move to another school and move to another school. And if you got sick during the day that the school nurse wasn't there, um, you'd have to wait. And so when she was talking about the fact that, you know, this is, this is her day in, day out, she's working in the morning, taking temperatures, she's contact tracing at night. I wonder if it's the case that everybody, every school has such a dedicated professional who's there for that school in the way that she is. Because I know it's a private school, isn't it, that she's working in? Is it the same in public schools? 
don't know. Not always. I don't think it always is. And, um, you know, she has spoken at length about that before. And, you know, that's something that she thinks about often is, you know, just the awareness that we have this resource here at our school and that not all schools do. And, oh, my gosh, how different that must be. Um, one of the things that really stood out to me, and with Kim being a colleague, I know this firsthand, I really have admired kind of the way that she has approached decision-making. Um, she really has taken in a lot of information, but her decisions are never made in silos. And I, she talked at length a little bit about how she has different groups that she consults with and, you know, they talk through different things and, you know, planning for different events and, um, it just really, to me, highlighted, you know, when we talk about the New Deal and specifically when we talk about vision number four, when we think about like the ethics of justice, critique, care and of the profession, that really so many of those considerations go into each decision that she makes um, for our school. I like that she talked about a course that she took in college that she didn't think was going to be meaningful. And that was community nursing. And lo and behold, it's turned out to be one of the most important parts of her job currently. I also liked how she talked about tentacles and an octopus and how constantly she's reaching out with different tentacles for more organizations for, actually her job has grown immensely. Um, and she has been so responsible. Uh, I was so impressed, uh, the, the, the school nurse position uh, as we once knew it has really changed under COVID-19, at least in Kim's case. Um, and it was, it was very impressive. Yeah. I, uh, Joan, I, I was thinking um, a very similar thought that um, her role, like many others in the school system has broadened um, considerably uh, to the point where some of the processes that she described were likely unrecognizable a year and a half ago. Um, uh, and so I think that when um, an ethical educational leader it, it can, can sort of hone how to make those decisions to Taryn's prior point um, that you are um, uh, not making those decisions in a silo, but rather um, there's a process and there's a community um, uh, dialogue that you're drawing from. I, I think that Wow, when 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 the turbulence hits and, and and a challenge, an unforeseen challenge comes, it is you can apply some of that um, some of that thinking and um, uh, the way that you go about uh, figuring these these tough kind of questions out. You can you can apply that to this new situation, and and we've all practiced. So that's really positive thing, I think, going into this next season of, of the pandemic in our schools. I think it's sort of come full circle as well in terms of the role of the school nurse. Um, I know that it, it used to be a big program, I think it was in the 80s, where at least in New York City, the, the school nurses weren't just school nurses. They were doing um, health checkups on kids. They were doing dental checkups on kids. There was a uh, lawyer housing project, which was associated with um, the school nurse, which was called, the, in, in New York, they're called the Ryan Centers. Um, and they were really set up for community support, not just of the student, but of the student's family as well. Um, and they started to shrink um, in the 2000s. They started to sort of shrink away. And now with coronavirus, 
they're going back to those what we've needed all along, which is that real community support within the schools, that the school nurse isn't just there to, to you know, deal with your boo-boos, and although that's still a part of it, um, that they really do a lot more of, of supporting the community and making sure things are safe and that kids are looked after and advocated for. And they see the whole child. I'm thinking of uh, an elementary school that I used to work with. And the school nurse was the one who saw, like, who are the kids who are coming in clearly from places where they didn't get a chance to bathe really regularly and wash their hair regularly. And you know what happens if you don't do that and, and all of that. And so instead of shaming them or sending them home, what she did, she set up a beauty parlor. She called it her beauty parlor. And she invited uh, people to come to the beauty parlor or the, or, or the barbershop, I guess, for guys and made it made them feel special rather than uh, special in a negative way. And that's because she just saw the whole child in a, in a, in a very different way. It's a shame that we had that need, but it was real. And actually the, um, the notion of a school-based health center with, with, with extended services, um, much like what um, Susie is describing and um, Stephen, in your case, that, that elementary school that you were aware of offering really any kind of um, additional services, that is actually connected to the research um, has shown that that is connected to um, decrease in chronic absenteeism for students, uh, that the, the idea of um, a school system being able to provide um, uh, more expansive health um, services really um, fulfills an, a very real and important need for students living in poverty. Um, and that would ordinarily shoulder the burden of uh, chronic absenteeism disproportionately with all that missed instructional time. One of the things I hope this brings up is, is just a need for uh, an understanding that there's a need for additional resources. Um, you know, as, as school nurses are getting involved in, in these things and rightfully so, you know, screenings are dropping off because you, you, you have to prioritize what you're working with. Um, you know, perhaps the, the resource that they are for parents outside of COVID is, is waning because they just can't. Um, so I hope it doesn't become a cycle where we're chasing the ball. I hope people start to recognize that we need more resources to <clears throat> provide these services for students um, through the school nurse. And uh, otherwise, if we don't get that. We're just going to continue, in my mind, to chase um, chase the supports for students. And out of all of this, like she said about, you know, people recognizing how important the role is. We recognize the role is important, but we also can't stop there. We need more resources. We need to be pushing for um, additional support through, through the, the nursing and medical field, and not only inside the school, but outside as well. So hello everyone. This is the segment that we like to call What's the Big Deal? We answer questions from you, our podcast audience, um, who posts questions on social media like Facebook, LinkedIn. So if you have a question, please post it to What's the Big Deal? Now this week we have some questions from our younger listeners. Um, the first one is from a 16 year old. And there's a few parts to this question. The first part is, I want to go back to school. How will you decide if it's safe for me to go back? I'll take, I'll take that one. Um, well, uh, the major part of it are the regulations and mandates and, and all that that's given to us from state agencies like the Department of Health. Um, 
those are those are the first pieces we'll look at um, as far as what's expected and how they define safe. Um, be, beyond that, we have to make decisions about what we can and cannot do, what's what's practical and what's not practical. Uh, to to create safety, I think, is also a part of communication. Um, being able to make families and students feel comfortable uh, and knowledgeable about a decision they're getting ready to make based on what we can and cannot provide. So there's kind of two pieces, us taking information from that word directed to uh, or, or uh, follow, and then us being able to communicate how that applies to our school. Great, thank you. And the second part of this question is, if kids don't show up because of Corona, does that impact the budget? And if that budget is impacted, will it stop sports from happening? I can see that one as well. Being ingrained in the budget process right now, if no one minds. So yes, of course, the budget is is impacted um, when you look at not providing transportation or um, some of the, the major costs that, that drive a budget. Um, it is impacted. My experience has been that it's impacted uh, in a way that is not taking away uh, opportunities for kids or, or um, you know, taking away things that we, we value, uh, opportunities after school or sporting programs or music programs. Um, there are additional monies that, that are being provided. Uh, we can't say that they're going to be sustainable, so we have to be careful about that. But based on this past year and working through a budget process, the uh, impact of students learning from home has not uh, been a great one on what we're able to provide for students. I knew, I know in New York City public schools, uh, the rate of children actually being uh, in terms of attendance, either virtually uh, or being enrolled at all, has dramatically decreased as kids have left the city in droves. Um, and that will certainly, at least for New York City kids, have an impact on sports. Um, I know that there's the new chancellor of New York is definitely wants there to be sports programs. So we hope they will continue, but really that that's going to be, uh, it's going to be seen in September on, on how that affects um, the difference between New York and Pennsylvania. So that there might be a bit of a lag in between the two. Um, all right. Now we have another question and this is from Doug age 13. And Doug asks, why is there always a key for the gender neutral bathroom? Will I always have to ask for a key and embarrass myself or have to wait for the key and miss a class to go to the bathroom? So, uh, let me, I'm going to give more of a, maybe a political opinion than an answer to this question. I think uh, education, like a lot of uh, old institutions, is very slow to change. Um, it's very often filled with old, stuffy people. Um, no offense to the to the old stuffy people listening. Um, and very often people's ideas about the world uh, do not progress when new information comes to light. And the fact that there are separate keys for separate uh, gender neutral bathrooms is silly because the entire idea of a bathroom, a place to to perform a bodily function is gender neutral. Um, so my, my only hope is that people come to their senses very quickly and realize that it's really, really silly to police people's bodily functions like waste disposal. 
I would just jump in and add that this, um, I think, is a wonderful example of where advocacy comes into play. And that by simply asking that question and bringing awareness and then going and kind of speaking up for it and having people like school counselors in your corner that you can bring this to and can really advocate for you is a huge piece of seeing change happen. So I appreciate that question. And I know that the GSA, the uh, Gender Sexuality Alliance, that is active in a lot of schools, at least in New York City, um, is a wonderful place to advocate for things like uh, unlocked gender neutral bathrooms or just having all gender neutral bathrooms in a school. So um, I think advocacy definitely plays a big role in this. Well, thank you so much to our listeners. And we really hope that you'll take the time to post some more questions to what's the big deal. Thank you for joining us for the New Deal podcast. Please join our mailing list to find out more information on the New Deal.